Hello, sixth grade scholars, and welcome to Detectives in Togas by Henry Winterfeld. Although you aren't wearing togas, you are also detectives for this book, and I want you to take careful notes as we listen to the story together. Be sure to mark down different characters, what they look like, their belongings, and other clues along the way to help you solve the mystery before it's revealed to us at the end of the book. Detectives and Togas Chapter 2 A Muffled Groan The next morning when the boys arrived at school, Xantippus was not there. This was reason for wonder. Their teacher had never kept them waiting before. They had arrived punctually an hour before sunrise and taken their seats on the benches as they were supposed to do. The slaves had accompanied them only as far as the forum since they had to go shopping in the markets. Rufus, of course, was absent, and so was Caius. Only Mucius, Julius, Flavius, Publius, and Antonius had showed up, and they could not figure out why Caius was missing. Perhaps he had not done his homework and was playing hooky for that reason, though that would hardly help him. Xantippus had an excellent memory, especially when it came to punishments. But where could Xantippus be? Not that the boys were so eager to see him, but it was dull sitting here in silence and staring at the walls. They were cold and sleepy and would much rather have been home in bed. Their lanterns, which they had placed on the benches beside them, flickered dimly and smelled of burnt olive oil. It was still dusky outside. In the gray pre-dawn, Broad Street was lifeless and deserted. Silently, Antonius and Flavius chewed a couple of rolls which they had bought at the baker's on their way to school since they had left home before breakfast. But gradually, the boys became uneasy. Xantippus's living quarters adjoined the schoolroom, separated from it only by a thin curtain. If Xantippus were up, the boys certainly ought to hear him, but all was silence behind the curtain. He's overslept, Publius said, grinning maliciously. Julius shook his head. Out of the question, he said. Xantippus always gets up before the tenth hour of the night. He told us that himself. I don't believe everything he says, Publius scoffed. Flavius suggested that Xantippus might have gone to pay an early visit to Rufus's mother, but Mucius growled, rot. Nobody but a schoolboy goes anywhere before dawn. Put out your lantern. The smoke is choking me. Flavius blew out his lantern. Antonius suddenly noticed that Xantippus's stool lay on the floor, tipped over in front to the desk. This was puzzling, for Xantippus always kept the room in perfect order. Maybe he's sick, Julius said. What would that have to do with the stool? Publius asked. Otherwise he would have picked it up, Julius replied. We had better go in and see what's the matter with him. Mucius objected. If Xantippus is sick, he would have already called us. We'll wait. All right, Publius yawned. I'm happy as long as he lets us alone. He stretched out on the bench and made believe he was snoring. The others laughed. Van Antonius gave a fright by exclaiming in a tense voice, Maybe Xantippus has been murdered. Flavius paled. He was not much of a hero. Involuntarily, he turned to look at the curtain. Who would want to murder Xantippus? Mucius demanded realistically. Lucos, Antonius whispered. Antonius was always one for expecting the worst. His head was full of ghosts and criminals. 
Every night before going to bed, he looked under his own bed to see whether any burglars were lurking there, but he was always disappointed. His friends knew all about his tendency to imagine things, but this time they were impressed. The mention of Lukos made them all shudder a little. Lukos was a famous astrologist and seer. Supposedly, he came from Alexandria, the great Greek colony in Egypt. He had turned up in Rome about two years ago. All kinds of stories went around about him. He was supposed to have mysterious powers, for he had predicted a great many important political events. Rumor had it that he could also work magic. The boys were fascinated by Lukos because his house stood directly across the street from the school and they could watch it all the time. It was a gloomy, windowless building made of heavy stone blocks. It towered over the low shops to either side of it. Beside the imposing front door hung a sign on which was written in bright red letters, Lukos, world famous astrologist, member of the Academy of Alexandria, formal personal soothsayer to the king of Persia, office hours after sunset, beggars and peddlers keep out, mortal danger. We're going to pause there for a second, scholars, because there's a couple words I want to address. Lukos claims to be an astrologist and a soothsayer. An astrologist during the time of our story, so ancient Roman pre-Christian, is someone who would watch the stars and use, it to, use the stars to make predictions, similar to modern-day astrology where we have our silly star signs based off when we're born and such. A soothsayer is someone who can make predictions using the tools of astrology and other things. So essentially, Lukos is like a kind of magician who can also predict the future. The boys had read the sign again and again, but it thrilled them anew every time they saw it, especially the last line, mortal danger. Antonius imagined that Lucos had the bodies of at least half a dozen beggars and peddlers buried in the cellar of his house. But the other boys only laughed at this notion. It would be against the law, Julius argued, and even a magician would not dare violate the law. Julius's father was a judge, which is why he knew a lot about the law in such matters. Oddly enough, the boys had never seen Lucos. For some reason, the soothsayer seemed never to leave his house. One day, during the breakfast recess in school, Antonius had made the bold statement that Lucos never left because he had no legs. This had annoyed Publius, who was fond of contradicting anyhow, and he objected then he would have himself carried by his slaves. Whereupon Antonius replied, he has no slaves. That had infuriated Publius. What silliness, he cried. Lucos is rich. A council who was visiting us once said Lucos made millions on his soothsaying. All the big shots go running to him because they can make a lot of money on his prophecies. They pay him plenty. The council says he has even guessed the emperor's secret plans. The emperor doesn't know about it, but the senators and councils do. It's just stupid to say Lucas has no slaves when every millionaire has at least a hundred. Why, we've got two hundred slaves. We've got a lot more, Antonius promptly retorted. We've got two slaves for our goldfish alone, but Lucas has no slaves. My father told me so, and he knows better than your council. 
Have you ever seen a slave coming out of Lucos's house? Have you? No, come to think of it, that's funny, Publius admitted sheepishly. You see, Antonius triumphed, no slaves ever come out because there aren't any. Flavius, who had been listening attentively, asked, But who brings him his food? Nobody, Antonius answered readily. If he gets hungry, he produces a meal for himself by magic. That was too much for Musius. Ridiculous, he snorted. You can't make food by magic. Lucos probably goes out to eat every night. Without legs? Caius exclaimed in astonishment, whereupon they all burst into laughter. This conversation had taken place several weeks ago. At the moment, the boys were feeling much less gay, and now Antonius had made them feel rather nervous about his silly idea that Xantippus might have been murdered. Musius frowned sternly at Antonius. What made you think Lucos might want to murder Xantippus? Oh, that's easy. Antonius was eager to explain. Lucas is mad as anything at the school because we always make such a racket. That bothers him when he's trying to soothsay. That wouldn't be a good enough reason for him to murder Xantippus, Julius protested. He hasn't murdered him either, Antonius said. He's just bewitched him and changed him into a pig, which amounts to the same thing. The others laughed, and Julius remarked, If Xantippus had been changed into a pig, we'd hear him grunting into the next room. He was changed into a deaf and dumb pig, Antonius promptly replied. There aren't any deaf and dumb pigs, Julius disagreed. They began arguing about whether or not deaf and dumb pigs existed. Publius, who took an interest in this problem, abandoned his sleeping position on the bench. As he sat up, he happened to glance at the wall behind Xantippus's desk. Why, he exclaimed, the writing tablet is gone. At first, the boys did not understand. Then they realized he meant the tablet on which Rufus had written, Caius is a dumbbell. What could have happened to it? Musius suggested that Xantippus had probably thrown it away out of annoyance. Julius thought otherwise. He must have saved it to show Rufus's mother as proof that Rufus was to blame for the fight with Caius. That's right, Antonius agreed. A mathematician like Xantippus never does anything without good proof. Poor Rufus. Flavius sighed, and for a while the boys fell silent. Meanwhile, it had grown lighter outside, but the sun had not yet risen, and Broad Street was still deserted. Let's go home. There's no sense sitting around here, Publius grumbled. Quiet, Musius whispered sharply. I thought I heard something from the other room. He tilted his head and listened tensely. There, do you hear that? From Xantippus's apartment came a muffled groan. The boys stared in horror at the curtain. We're going to stop there, and I want you all to take time and make a prediction. What is behind the curtain? Chapter 3. A Bump of Considerable Diameter Should we go in? Julius asked softly. Flavius protested, stammering with fright. Hadn't we better call the police? The others looked inquiringly at Musius. On tiptoe, Musius approached the curtain. He paused in front of it and listened again. The noise had stopped. Maybe it was only the wind, he said. I never heard the wind groan like that, Publius murmured. Besides, there isn't any wind right now. 
Musius pulled himself together. Bring your lantern over here, Antonius, he ordered. I'll see what's the matter. Antonius brought the lantern. With one decisive movement, Musius jerked the curtain aside. Oh, he breathed in amazement and stood rooted to the spot. The others peered over his shoulders. There was only a tiny window in Xantippus's room, but in spite of the dim light, the boys instantly saw that something bad had happened. Almost all the furniture had been knocked over, and scattered around the entire room were rolls of papyrus, pictures, files, writing tablets, and articles of clothing. Only the bed and a large wardrobe in the corner were still upright. There was no sign of Xantippus at all. His bed was empty. The sheets ripped. The boys were so amazed by it all that they forgot about the strange noise. Cautiously, Musius made his way through the litter of things on the floor. He stopped in the middle of the room and looked around, shaking his head in puzzlement. Crazy, he murmured. The others followed him. Flavius, hanging back close to the entrance, ready to flee, asked anxiously, But where is Antippus? Antonius flashed his lantern into the tiny alcove which served as a kitchen. Not here, he reported. Then he looked under the bed, but Xantippus was not there either. Where can he possibly be? Flavius wondered. He skipped out, Publius said, grinning. Yes, that's it, Antonius exclaimed. He sailed back to Greece because he's sick and tired of us. He had a fit of temper and knocked over all the furniture before he left. Publius laughed scornfully. I thought Lucos had turned him into a pig. Just then, the muffled groan was heard once more. This time, it was louder and lasted longer. It came unmistakably from the corner where the wardrobe stood. The boys froze in their tracks. There's something there, Musius whispered. A ghost, Antonius breathed. Let's get out of here, Flavius murmured. But the others stared hypnotized at the wardrobe. The groaning began again, and then there was a hoarse croaking. There's someone locked in there, Musius ex said excitedly. He started to creep toward the wardrobe. Don't open it, Flavius warned in a choked voice. Yes, Musius said, we have to. He might suffocate. It isn't a person, Antonius insisted. It's a ghost. A ghost can't suffocate. Shut up, Musius snapped. Ghosts don't sit in wardrobes in the morning. I'm going to open it. Give me the light. Antonius directed the glow of his lantern at the wardrobe door, but his hand was trembling and the feeble light danced like a will-o'-wisp up and down the wall. More croaking issued from the wardrobe. The key was sticking in the lock on the outside. Musius boldly turned it, wrenched the door open, and stood back in amazement. In the wardrobe sat Xantippus, tied up like a bundle of old rags. His hands were bound behind his back, and a crude gag made of strips of sheeting had been wound around his face, leaving only his eyes and unkept hair visible. Xantippus! the boys cried out. From under the gag there came an irritable croak. Why is he sitting in the wardrobe? Xantippus produced a gobbling sound like a goose. He wants to get out, Antonius observed. Musius suddenly came to life. Don't stand around like dumbbells, he shouted at the others. We can't leave him in there like this. Come on, help me. Give me a hand. Xantippus was tightly wedged into the wardrobe, but by pulling together they managed to pry him loose. 
He fell roughly to the floor, growling furiously. Musius unwound the gag, bent over their teacher, and asked with concern, How do you feel? Instead of replying, Xantippus closed his eyes and heaved a sigh. He's dying, Antonius said. At that, Xantippus opened his eyes again and growled ferociously, By Jupiter and all the heavenly gods, why did you wait so long? I almost suffocated. Quick, untie me. My arms and legs are dead. You'd better get a knife from the kitchen. Antonius and Publius managed to untie the ropes around Xantippus's legs. With the big bread knife that Flavius brought from the kitchen, Musius freed their teacher's hands. Xantippus moved his arms cautiously and began clenching and unclenching his fists, groaning softly. Help me, he ordered the boys. I can't stand up. The boys raised him to his feet and led him to his bed where he sank down, exhausted. After a while, he began feeling his right leg, his features twisted in pain. My leg, he complained. I am certain I have sprained it. Of course, it's swollen. Oh, ouch, I can't possibly stand on it. Then his hands flew to his head and he exclaimed, a bump. I thought so, and what a bump. The swelling is approximately round and of considerable diameter. He reached up to the shelf above his bed for a small polished metal mirror and stared gloomily into it for a long while. Musius cleared his throat and ventured a respectful question. How did you come to be in the wardrobe, sir? Xantippus gave the boys a long, mournful look. I was assaulted last night, he said with a sigh. Well, ladies and gentlemen, who do you think assaulted Xantippus? Remember, he is a Greek mathematician. He runs a school on Broad Street. And his boys do keep the neighbors up in the early morning. What do you think? Let me know your predictions on Google Classroom.